0: And welcome to Tapped into Psychedelics. I'm your host, Adam Tapp, and with me is my friend and producer, Handsome Jason. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Avail Scientific. And today's guest is Reverend Dr. Jessica Rochester, and a wonderful human being doing some amazing things. And I'm really looking forward to this interview. So, how are you doing, Dr. Jessica?
1: Thank you. I'm really well, and thank you for inviting me on your show. And hello to everybody out <laughs> there in the listening audience.
0: So, Dr. Jessica is the madrina of the Santo Daime Church in Canada, and what I'm sort of wondering is that can you provide an explanation and sort of some background into the Santo Daime Church and how ayahuasca plays into it, and what's what's the significance of this?
1: Sure, my pleasure. First of all, just a clarification is. Um, uh, I'm the madrina of, and the founder of Soda Montreal, which is a Santo Daime church, okay? I'm not, we aren't the Santo Daime church of Canada, okay? We're in Canada, and we are a Santo Daime church, but I just want to clear that up, so um, out of deep respect for any other centres and churches that uh, happen to be in Canada, or, <clears throat> or hoping to be in Canada. So, uh, first of all, the Santo Daime is a syncretic uh, religion. It is kind of born, it was born in the Amazon through a, a great teacher we know as Mr. Irenea, And uh, he was apprenticed in the ayahuasca, the traditional ayahuasca traditions of the Amazon basin. And after a while of his apprenticeship, learning how to make the brew, how to work with the astral and with the beings, how to... Um, integrate and how to work with the community and the tribe, he felt called into the forest by the plants to drink alone, which is an almost essential initiation in Awaskiran and shamanic traditions, is you have to do this kind of vision quest. And during his encounter in the forest, um, which is a great story, but it's a bit of a long one, so I won't go into it today, and it's also publicly available on our website, Um, he encountered the divine feminine force in in different forms. And the first form was through the full moon, and he received instructions from her, and she gave him exact instructions on how to start the line, which we know is the Xantodymy. Syncretic being that it it has Amazonic roots, it has um, a kind of Catholicism, but folk Catholicism that had kind of evolved in in Brazil. It has African roots because he was a grandson of of African slaves brought over uh, from Africa to work in the the kind of slave trade that was happening in Brazil uh, long ago. And so, It also has some European spiritism, has many different influences in it. So it's eclectic. So de Montreal's full name is Eclectic Centre for the Universal Flowing Light, uh, which is, I think, the best way that Nestri could describe what's actually happening in the works as we become channels, aware of and channels for that universal flowing light. It's as if we're aware and operating on a quantum level as much as a human level so ayahuasca is the other name for the sacrament that we drink but ayahuasca is an umbrella term that can include admixtures so there's an important distinction to make here with immense respect to the heritage traditions of the ayahuasca lines is how they use the sacred plants were often in combination with other plants depending on what the use was going to be was it for rite of passage divination uh, how was the shaman or shamanesses, how was the tribe using the sacrament? There was preparation of, of different diet and other healing, cleansing plants that were used. Whereas what got introduced into the line was just the use of two plants. The vine, um, known as the ayahuasca vine, or Banisteriopsis capi, and the tree, uh, the leaves of a tree called the of So only those two plants here used in our sacrament um did i even approach answering your question you no actually
0: time? i i'm finding this i love this i think what you're talking about like i i've heard about santo daimi many times i've superficially looked into it and, and having you explain it is 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 quite pleasant and so i just have one question as well so so it's a syncretic religion in the sense of that it brings aspects of different religions does it have like deities and saints from like Roman Catholicism, in the sense of like, is Jesus present, or is this more of a sense of exploring our own divinity? Is it is it more of an idea of explain life, exploring our self more specifically as as a means to salvation, or is there sort of a, a hierarchy of worship within the church?
1: Yes and yes, um, uh, the <laughs> I mean, and it is yes and yes. Okay. Yes, there are prayers. Uh, you have to understand that, that Nestri started the line with what he knew. You know, I, I can only guess because he passed in 1971 and I came into the line in 1996. So I've only met Nestri in the astral. Um, and, um, you know, so he brought the way all great teachers do. Buddha was, came from the yoga tradition. So he brought things, you know, things from that tradition got, you know, into what we what became the Buddhist line, which broke into many branches. The same with Judaism, broken to many branches. Christianity, broken to many branches. So we can consider that the. You know, the the life of a great teacher, I always consider, is like the seed that goes into the ground and it creates that first sprout that it's going to become a tree. And that develops until the branches start and it branches out and starts bearing fruit. And so, you know, we can look at all great spiritual traditions and religions have many branches and it's not like you know. I don't think one branch should be saying we're the right branch. <laughs> if they're sharing the roots. Okay, the roots are the same, and and so in our church, we're a little bit. We're not an orthodox line. We're more of a universalist line. We're more encompassing, and um, based in part on my own spiritual evolution and what I had the blessings to bring in. In the it being eclectic, you know, so elements different prayers or certain hymns or a chant or something can work its way into the central of Diamond Line. So you're asking, are there, is there a, you know, the first yes was, are, the, is there kind of a hierarchy? Well, yes and no. It is not at all, you know, the old kind of patriarchal, Judaic, Christian, Islam story um, of the, you know, the, that. You can see in in Maestri's hymns, in what's called the Decree of Mastery, he speaks about the universal divine feminine, the universal mother, um, all of which is left out in the patriarchal lines. And so there is this wonderful balance of the divine feminine and the divine masculine, which is referenced through the two plants. The one plant is considered to be the represent the masculine element and the other the feminine. And so uh there yes there are prayers and yes there are hymns which include but they don't include just those um you know main figures in christianity there there's the hymns are full of You know, you'll, you'll there'll be hymns that'll talk about Dremidam, about Buddhism, about Buddha, about, you know, various, all different around the world spiritual traditions. Um, especially, um, coming from the old African lines, the forces of nature. So the, the Orishas and the Kabokas and, and all of this is integrated into it. And so a, a, a yes and a very kind of wider Bigger, yes, rather than kind of. I was raised in the Anglican Church, so I understand what you're asking. And, and no, with great respect to the other branches on the Christian tree, um, you know, and uh, yes to the second part, which is the second branch. Um, the cross in the sense of Daimi has two, two arms across. And when I first came in, I, like everybody else, it's like, what does the second arm represent? And I was quickly told that, you know, apart from a number of other interpretations that people may have as an inner re- revelation, that that means Christ consciousness being born inside of us and our awareness of consciousness, that, that Jesus is received as a great teacher who, um, whose teachings we can access through our own consciousness of Christic, meaning beyond the story of Jesus' consciousness. Okay, did that make sense?
0: No, that was, that was an excellent, excellent explanation. So it, it seems that what you're saying to me, and this is my interpretation, is that it's taking the metaphor from religion and then allowing people to access spirituality in themselves as opposed to being the gatekeepers to the sort of salvation as you see in most organized religious structures.
1: We, none of that exists in our church here in the Santo Daimi. The soliciting is forbidden. It's none of this come to our, not not only is it not allowed, it, 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 it's the opposite. You have to find out about it. You have to apply. You have to go through a visitor screening. You have to have interviews, you know, and, and that's the way it goes. And we will have some people who are coming for, you know, it. it Think about in the old um, kind of Hindu traditions where you have, you know, a great teacher, a great guru, and, and people want to go and train with the guru, and he makes them sit by the gate for three days, yeah. and then he gives them a task, you know, and if they're still there, I mean, you know, he'll look out and die, they're still there. Okay, after three days and they have to accomplish a difficult task of one form or another, he will say, yes, you're my student, or no, you're not. Okay, well, there's there are reasons why... You know, there's a saying, the Santo Daimi is for everybody, but not everybody is for the Santo Daimi. Yeah. And and yeah. that's just a reality. And it's not because the Santo Daimi is some exclusive club where we keep some people out. It's just, it's kind of the wisdom of the guru, which is that there are some people who, just because of why they're coming they're coming because a friend went to Burning Man or they read something on a blog site or they're all excited or they're in a desperate place. You know, we have a lot... Because of the media attention to entheogens, we consider our our sacred plants and our sacrament to be an entheogen, not a psychedelic. Okay, psychedelics, quick definition. Psychedelics would be pharmaceutically or laboratory-made substances Um, which can be graded as to content, excellent for research, clinical use, um, therapeutic use, things like that. Entheogens are sacred plants that are used in the plant or plant extract form and have been used for thousands of years, if not tens of thousands of years, for some of those sacred plants. So... Did I answer your question again? I'm no, sorry. No, again, I'm going you're you're, these you're topics doing and I like them so much that I can yeah. keep going. So not everybody is in a place to have their consciousness opened and in such a, it can be in a very rapid way. And because we we're a church, we sing, we, you know, we're, we are a spiritual center. We sing, we pray, we meditate. We aren't a clinic. We aren't a therapeutic setup. We're not a hospital or what have you because of media attention and a lot of stories. We, we do have a lot of requests from people who contact us saying, you know, I'm, I'm severely addicted to this and I've heard that ayahuasca can heal me, but we're not set up to help people in this current moment where you're not set up to help people. are struggling with we don't have the support system to be able to offer them the support and the guidance that they need down the line we hope because it's only five years now that we're that we have our legalization even though our church just celebrated its 25th year um we hope down the line to be able to work with um, you know, other other with clinics, and we're already working with. I'm already working with um, a number of universities and planning their programs and advising on programs to develop um, study programs for people who wish to train in and understand and know how to work in um, deep non ordinary states of consciousness. Another concern while we're talking about this um, is is that you know the perils and the promise and the risks and the benefits. And you know, this is another thing that's had so much media attention and a lot of enthusiastic people, well intentioned enthusiastic people in the field, um, are galloping ahead creating programs or galloping ahead opening clinics and galloping ahead and doing all kinds of things and I think making a lot of promises of what is what is the potential of some of these things and not taking into consideration as wisely as they should some of the risks. And I can see a question hovering around you. Yeah, no, I, I have so
0: many. Well, and, and one of the things you just said, and I completely agree with that, is that it feels like the psychedelic community as a whole has been sort of suppressed for so long. And now that we're seeing this quote unquote psychedelic renaissance, people are projecting this, this miracle cure, this panacea of hope and everything. And I don't disagree with that, but at the same time, you're absolutely right. The expectations for what people get out of this, this magic pill. And, you know, I, I've been doing psychedelics for a, a fair amount of time and I can say that it's it's a very long winding path of self-exploration and you know what i mean once you start embarking on this it's scary it's it's anxiety provoking it's liberating it's beautiful it's it's so many different things but at the same time i feel that as as a social movement maybe we're projecting it in an irresponsible way and the fact that people are coming to you with, you know, addiction concerns, and people are superficially reading these articles, thinking that they're going to come in, do ayahuasca, you know, see a jaguar, and somehow be cured of all their problems, and I'm like, you know, it's it's a very dangerous statement to be making, and and I think that sometimes the expectation that people have going into it can probably leave them a little bit empty afterwards after something entirely different than the intention they set out is exposed within them. And more often than not, you're showing negative things about yourself. You're showing faults, you're showing your inadequacies, your insecurities, and is someone with a profound addiction in a position
1: to actually see or confront that. And I, you know, Good question. Good question. Is somebody in that place able to see that and that, you know, maybe it's a case by case situation, but at the same time, there needs to be the structure there to support people, to care people, and then to support them afterwards, to help them understand. There is no miracle, you know. And listening to you you know, talk, thank you so much for sharing what you shared. And maybe just a little bit more uh, background biography on myself, I trained in the work of Dr. Roberto Lissaggioli, uh, the Italian psychiatrist, his work, Psychosynthesis. I trained directly with Dr. Stanislav Grof. Um, For those who don't know him, he's one of the founding fathers of um, the work that he did um, in in psychedelic therapy, working with LSD. And um, the work that he's done, I think, should be um, almost required reading for everybody who's in this field. Um, I I recently published two books um, called Ayahuasca Awakening. Uh, a Guide to Self-Mastery, Self-Discovery and Self-Care, trying to address the very questions that we, you're asking and the topics that we're talking about now. And, you know, it, it, in, in what I write, I, I use Joseph Campbell's work of the hero's journey because it really is the hero's journey. We have to be, as you said, you you've done your own experimentation over a number of years, and you you found that there was no quick fix. If anything, you were only having revealed your shortcomings, and you know your and your lower unconscious and your dark side. You know, and it's like who wants to look at that? We all want you know unicorns and crystals and rainbows <laughs> and and you know encounters with deities and magic messages from the astral and instant healings you know and this is part of what what i call new age nonsense which unfortunately has been propagated by you know by unfortunately um you know some people writing books and and giving podcasts or ted talks about or maybe not ted talks so much but you know, giving talks about, you know, how, how all you have to do is kind of visualize it or wish it or positive think it enough and it will happen to you, you know, that, you know, if you just set your intention and stick it on your fridge and do all of these things, that these things are going to kind of magically appear. And, and this is just not so, you know, we can pick apart that, argument okay very very quickly you know point to the people who don't have water who don't have food who don't have shelter who don't have safety okay and say they i'm sure they're imagining look at the people who went through you know plagues and illnesses you think they weren't positively thinking and praying okay you
0: know i I think what you're referring to in that whole mentality seems to me to be a very staunch reflection of people growing up in a profoundly capitalist society where anything is thought to be possible. And unfortunately, you know, that doesn't reflect the vast majority of the world. And and I think that, you know, there's an interesting note to take here is that the idea of modern psychiatry is based on European and North Americans. And that only actually represents 20% of the global population. And so we're inferring, you know, a very different lifestyle there's only existed for a flash in the pen of human existence and then blanketing that on human emotional structure and I find it very destructive that that seems to be something that's going hand in hand with psychedelics right now, and that it's it is it's this idea that you can do psychedelics and you can visualize and change your life and do all these things and i'm like yeah that's that's possible but at the same time i think that the real root of psychedelic use is to be actually content with what you have and to be okay with failure and to be okay with pain and suffering and realize that that's just fundamentally part of the human experience and it's it seems that psychedelics now in this whole new movement are being taken and sort of perversed into that same capitalistic grind that we've all been existing in for the last you know couple hundred years and i find it very refreshing your attitude about this and how you look at it and what you're doing because it's to me it speaks of reality as opposed to this mythological sort of cape that we're trying to wear while we move through this
1: well thank you that's a a very that's a very kind compliment (laughs) thank you so much and uh, the thing is it's 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 been hard one okay it's been hard one i'm I'm you know I'm 50 years actively involved in in the winding journey of spiritual traditions even you know that's actively uh, spontaneously and and you know without my doing anything since I'm a young child I had profound spiritual experiences and I had no I had no map I had no cartography I had nothing to explain to me I was raised in the Anglican church which You know, it's a lovely tradition and but it didn't it never met, it never spoke to what I was experiencing. And especially it couldn't because as a as a young girl and then as a young woman, there's nothing in in the catechism, there's nothing in the in the male deities. Okay, Don't get me started on this because it's a fascinating study of how the divine feminine and therefore all the feminine rites and rituals vanished 6,000 years ago. And they've been trying to work their way back up to the surface since. And so especially what women need, which is, you know, they, we need to understand that relationship of the divine feminine and the divine masculine and the equality and that everything Uh, that is in existence has this natural balance to it and equality and unity to it. And if if we mess with that, then we've messed with exactly what you're saying because we have to see that it's the patriarchal religions that were influencing science. Just read the history of science and, you know you know, Galileo confined to his house for developing the telescope and saying the earth isn't at the center of the universe, you know, and we can go person by person. Um, Asagioli was under house arrest, was it for six years, I believe, because of his principles that he was teaching of the cartography of, of the human, you know, so and his dissidence, you know, his disagreement with what was happening uh, during the war, so... We can see that there. there's a wonderful article that just came out, um, and I just happened to spot it early this morning, actually, about is psychiatry more of a religion than a science? And there's some psychiatrists speaking to that, and they're saying, we think it's more of a religion than a science. Now, isn't that an interesting door, and that maybe the DSM needs to be set aside. It's not the Bible, Okay. And, well,
0: and if you integrate psychedelics in with psychiatry then it will become a religion very rapidly and i think i think you're right about that with you know the dsm the way it's written it's this weird subjective interpretation that has just been the slow evolution by you know, patriarchal environments and it, it very much it is a religion and,
1: until ordinary human behavior is being pathologized and so it, we all need to take a long slow deep breath and say okay let's just sit down together and have a conversation about and this is what's wonderful is you know i've worked the last few years on uh, we published a paper in the journal canadian journal of psychology A wonderful uh, committee of people from uh, across Canada, from all different, you know, uh, psychology, uh, psychiatry, um, you name it, you know, from different uh, sources speaking to this. And and we published, it's called Entheogens and Psychedelics in Canada, Proposal for a New Paradigm. And we address many of the issues that we're talking about this afternoon. And so I encourage people to familiarize themselves with the benefits, the risk, the need for ethics, a different kind of ethics um, and a need for a structure that is not that narrow biomedical structure where the the healing is reduced down to a, a single molecule.
0: Yeah, and- Instead of
1: having a relationship with, in, in, in our experience, having a relationship with sacred plants that have spiritual guardians guarding the line that the plants open you to, okay, and that they, they, it takes you to a level of consciousness in which you are able to understand yourself and the nature of reality from a different perspective and that is what all non-ordinary states of consciousness will do so whether somebody's meditating or truly following a contemplative path of prayer and silence or or using entheogens or psychedelics or whatever training they are doing you can have spontaneous non-ordinary states of consciousness and that's what will start to shift and do we have a flexible, resilient, and yet strong enough sense of self to be able to go through the ego deaths that will happen, there will be ego death, okay? There will be ego death. And what we see often is people hit that place where an ego death is required You know, the the caterpillar has to go into the cocoon, and the caterpillar dies, okay, to become the butterfly. The snake has to shed that old, comfortable skin because it's now become too tight and uncomfortable, but it's scary because one will be vulnerable, feel vulnerable. One will feel, who am I now? If I'm not being that, the old kind of layers of personality and false selves and things that we develop, if all that ego structure that we develop to feel okay about ourselves and in the world is going to go through this death process, then who am I? And so it's a great journey of who am I?
0: You know, it's it's really interesting what we're talking about right now. And I've always wondered how modern psychiatry and modern medicine is going to grapple with what psychedelics and ethnogens actually do. Like an ego death is a very profound experience. It's terrifying. It's, it's liberating. It's pure love. It's fear. It's so many things that you're navigating in that moment. And to simply let go of everything that you ever thought you were, you know, and it's like, I, I was telling you about my death experience and how I had an ego death during that. And it was, it was taking a step back and realizing that underneath this superficial layer of this operating system that is Adam, there is something there that is so substantial Something there that's that's perfect, and and having that relationship with it is a very difficult thing. And you know, I not that I am a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but I don't. <laughs> I'm not sure how modern psychiatry is going to broach subjects like ego death and how to navigate that and what that actually means and the intense spiritualism that's associated with it.
1: Yes, very good comment. Thank you, Adam. How H- how because you know. You can only, you know, I had a, a private practice for nearly 40 years and counseling practice and teacher, um, workshop leader, et cetera, et cetera. And I can, t- I can tell you this that I remember in the early days of my practice, uh, and I'm going back now till, you know, like the early 80s, and, uh, I was absolutely taken with what was happening in psychoneuroimmunology and, um, you know, was, you know, this was before World Wide Web. It was before the internet. You couldn't just Google what you wanted. I'm sorry. Students have it really easy today. You want to learn something, you have to track it down. You have to search for it. It was like the old search oh, for the whole. I was trail, alive you know?
0: when the Dewey Decimal system
1: was in play. I, I know what yes, you mean. Yes, yes. Okay. Very good. Okay. So, you know, I my first dissertation, I typed on a typewriter, okay, where you had to, retype a whole page if you made a mistake and use whiteout which you didn't want to have to use but anyway that's another story so I was, I was, you know, running around uh, asking people if I could shadow them in their clinic with what they were doing, meeting them at conferences, taking them for lunch, asking them about the work they were doing, the research they were doing, were they writing a book, when was it coming out, et cetera, and et cetera, et cetera, and just eating up all this wonderful information. So I, being a meditator and on my own, I quickly integrated into my practice relaxation techniques guided relaxation to help people with so I made a lovely tape and I mean none of this was happening yet okay and so I made this lovely tape which I gave out and gave out to all my clients and I had them doing and then I started to notice some very strange things were happening my clients were coming back to me saying well I'm, I'm working with a tape at home but now I'm having these weird dreams about this. And this thing came up for me. Or they'd be sitting in my office and all of a sudden they'd be going into what seems to be like a past life. And the first thing I said to myself was, I need more training. Now that was the first thing I said. I recognized that there were things happening that were falling a little bit outside of my, my map okay and i talk about this all the cartography from freud to young to a to stan groch to you know the daimy world okay all in my books for people who are interested the cartography the maps where are we you know not those old maps there'd be dragons here there certainly are dragons there okay so the, that's what i did as i said i need more training i need to know what what's going on here and so I'm now running around meeting with shamans and people working in past lives and taking workshops and all the trainings that I can possibly absorb in, and that's what needs to happen because you can, if you if you're going to take people's profound inner experiences and try to take your map and impose it, you know, and if your map is the DSM, what do we have to five? If that's your map, then. Then you're, then you're going to be pathologizing spiritual experiences. And this is something that I I say fairly frequently, but in all these years, I have seen spiritual experiences pathologized. And on the other side, I have seen pathology spiritualized. People who do not have, because there's, we can kind of be putting our noses in the air and shaking a finger at the traditional models of psychiatry or psychology. But you know what? I have a great respect for their training, their dedication, and their work. Some of my closest colleagues and dearest friends are in that field. And all the open-minded ones are doing everything they can to understand spirituality, what we call transpersonal psychology. Just as dangerous are the pop-up shamans or the... I'm, I'm a healer, I'm a medium. I don't need a teacher. I don't need any trainings. I have a spirit guide that's telling me everything that I want to do. And I'm sad to say that a lot of people who you know that I encounter in different areas of my work or who contact me don't understand that they're in a narcissistic bubble.
0: Do you know that's, that's something that we, we spoke about this last time and yeah, I, I refer to them as backyard shaman. And yeah, and I think that's something that's going to have to be addressed sometime reasonably soon. Because you know, I've I've had conversations with people about the idea of cults developing within these psychedelic communities. And you're absolutely right. These, these people that do ayahuasca or a bunch of mushrooms or something, and then all of a sudden come out, you know, as this divine mystic who has all the answers and this guru that can save everyone and. I'm like, you just hit the tip of the iceberg of your own ego. And then it seemed that you recoiled so deeply into narcissism. And it's like, you, someone gave you a message and then you just took it the wrong way. And, you know, I I would imagine that's something that you probably interact with quite a bit at your, at your church and so forth. I
1: would imagine. Uh, Well, these are things that, you know, you're going to, you're going to find everywhere. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, It's just a reality. We do need to have a larger conversation about it. We need to have an understanding. I mean, I'm always supporting, encouraging people, listen, if you feel called to kind of work in this field, then these are some things you might want to consider. And there's one big word that people just seem to forget about, and I'm just going to say it nicely and politely and out loud in capital letters, liability. Yeah. It's just like people haven't understood that there's an accountability that comes, a serious. That's why usually these apprenticeships. I mean, I was 14 years in what I considered to be my apprenticeship under the mentoring and guidance of the elders of the line I was in. I am totally grateful for all the deep teachings, the guidance, and everything else, but it was 14 years until I yeah. took, our church decided to become independent. You know, it wasn't a month in in name the South Americans spin yeah. the bottle and point at the South American Australia. country you want. Yeah. You know, but it, it wasn't that. It was a a long training of of you know uh, learning that what I didn't know was as vast as sands of grains of sand on the on the you know on the side of the ocean that. And every time the ocean brings a wave in, there's more sand, you know, on the beach. And everything is shifted around again. And um, so, like Rumi says, it's you can discover that I'm not a drop in the ocean. I'm an ocean in, in a drop, you know. Mm. And And when we can integrate that unity and oneness with the divine without it taking our ego, okay, without our ego getting hold of this when we can see that we can become a channeling for you know that beautiful buddhist prayer the meta prayer may i be at peace you know may my heart remain open may i awaken to the light of my own true nature may i be healed may i be a source of healing for all beings when we're willing to go to that place with no ego on it with no attachment on it with simplicity and humility and, and that's those are the core teachings of all the great spiritual traditions. If you look at what the teachers are really saying, they're saying be humble, be simple, pray. You know, the first great teaching, awareness, awareness, awareness. Mm-hmm. And how is it possible that there's people who want to work in this field and think they don't need teachers, they don't need training, they don't need colleagues to talk through challenges um, to say, listen, I'm having, you know, so I'm, I'm reacting on my side to something that's happening over here, you know, or I'm seeing that there's something happening. I'm not quite sure I'm handling it. Can I chat with you about that? I mean, those of us who work in the field, we know the importance of, of this level of respectful and supportive dialogue and the need for ethics, which are so essential um, and for, you know, dentists have ethic codes, physiotherapists have ethic codes. Explain to me why people working so closely with people in psychedelics think they don't need an ethics code.
0: You know, and I have this one thing that I come across mm-hmm. a lot of is, is people who are taking on this role as these these healers. And. Again, the liability like you can really break people and and I don't mean that in in a sense of like destroy someone, but you can really take whatever issue that they were trying to uncover, and in that moment, they can completely lose their identity, they can lose their sense of self, they can be completely immersed in this traumatic event and and simply. Doing ayahuasca a handful of times does not prepare you for that. And I feel that we have a long way to go with developing ethics, with even establishing who is able to provide these. Because part of me, like I I resist and I resent the idea that psychiatry should be the new priests of this religion. I think that there's huge amounts of people who have the capacity to hold medicine and and help people. It's just a matter of trying to unravel how to do that. What is ethical? What isn't ethical? And having like a standard which people can adhere to. And another thing too is like, you know, even though I would say that all psychedelic pathogens fundamentally have a similar message, there's a very different means and how to get there and they're not created equal. They're, they're different. How they give you messages are different. How they affect you is very different. You know, like you primarily use ayahuasca, but I, I would imagine you probably have experiences with other psychedelics. You know, like, how did did you get to the place that you are right now? Like, you talked about going into training and transpersonal counseling and, and just wanting to understand because current psychological practices didn't really hold the answers to you. So how did you get to this place where you are now? Like, it was a long path i imagine but
1: it's a long journey it's a long journey uh, as i said it began when i was a young child so you've put a couple of really good thoughts I <laughs> out there. You want them to get lost in the woods so you know in order of how they popped out of you um you know you're, you're saying that you know training and uh, yes ethics and things like that so this is again something that we try to address in in this paper that we published and you know every anyone listening was interested you can get it a PDF free on my website. And so um, you know please please go there and read it if you're in the field and you know contact me if you're if you're a professional and you have questions around it. Happy to support. In Australia they read our paper. They're now approaching the Australian government with some of the recommendations. In England they're approaching, they're considering approaching their government with some of the recommendations that we're saying. So they're pretty basic. It's about education is there is there a norms a standard of education so that what's being taught is inclusive of what people need to know like dentistry you need to know stuff accounting you need to know stuff okay psychedelics and entheogens you need to know stuff okay so education and then credentialing who gets credentialed there's a lot of people who already have you know, really sufficient um, experience in education and then what do they need to add to that? So credentialing, and who does the credentialing? What does that look like, okay? And right, and then ethics. So wrote a code of ethics that we recommend people consider either adopting or adapting to their own particular needs. And then something else that we recommended to our government who we, we met with the Office of Controlled Substances many times, I have, a, at this point, a 23 year relationship yes. um, with the Office of Controlled Substances. People don't understand patients. It took 17 years from my first application in the year 2000 to the granting in 2017. And a lot of the drag down. Was um, because of a, a variety of different things: uh, the tricky international thing of import and export permission, export permission from Brazil, import into Canada. Political changes on the Canadian political scene for quite a few years. Um, the unfortunate death of a woman in a ayahuasca shamanic seminar uh, weekend retreat um, in Ontario, uh, a native elder woman, um, because the. The shaman, a true Ecuadorian respected shaman came up but didn't understand Canadian culture that a lot of people take medications. A lot of we're, we're not living in the Amazon where we use herbs as medicine. And so um, that court case tied up. So this is, again, we're back to liability. People are currently. Serving in Canada, individually or in groups, they are serving controlled substances and they're serving them unlicensed. And they don't seem to understand that they put themselves at a serious liability, not just personally or professionally, but if they are not operating with the sufficient education, and the sufficient cartography to really help people, then um, they have a liability on a personal, on a civil level. That you know, maybe the family of the person isn't happy with what happened, and they they're gonna you know take whatever steps they need to do to feel that they have some retribution for whatever happened to their family member or their friend, you know. And and so ethically, if you don't have a code of ethics, uh, it always makes me wonder when people don't want a code of ethics. Why don't they want a code of ethics? That kind of you know, m- money, power sex, and substances. Those are the four main suspects. Every time there's ethical slips, it usually has something, Those one of those four or a combination are involved. So why wouldn't we want the support of our colleagues and something to reference and a path forward as to how to manage these things?
0: No, that was, that was well spoken. And you're absolutely right about the issues associated with that. Like it's, you know, how often are we hearing even from like MAPS Canada with MDMA trials and having therapists and sexual relationships with their patients? And, you know, once you have money exchanging hands and, and again, to power, which power has a tendency to be associated with sexuality as well as, you know, the financial component of it. Like it's it's going to be a very, very difficult thing to navigate because there already is established sub community that is operating under pretenses that they don't require these ethics. And yet we're moving into a controlled environment which requires these. And there's going to be an interesting collision at some point in time in the very near future in which, you know, those are going to be forced upon people. And I'm curious to see how
1: this unfolds. I really am. So to, to speak to your other two questions that were kind of embedded in, in in the conversation, you asked me about my own spiritual journey. And, you know, had I, had I ever been involved? How have I or am I ever involved? So... Um, again, I tell my some of my personal story in the books um, because my editor pressed me, <laughs> and um, in in the unfolding of my own spiritual journey. And so, in about 1971, merging into 72, I took LSD twice. Within a, a short period of time, it merged into one experience because it really kind of was one experience. I describe my journey in the book, um, in book in the volume one of the two books, and it was in a safe kind of setting. Um, it wasn't on a lark going to a rock concert. You know, <laughs> it was done in a very sensible and safe manner, and. It was, as I described it, it was overwhelming. It was terrifying. It was exhilarating. It was fascinating. Um, I I experienced so much about myself and the nature of reality, and had a profound experience of kind of cosmic unity, and cosmic consciousness. And towards the end of "Don't Ask Me," you know, it must have been the second experience. I encountered a being, a being that seemed very loved and familiar to me. And this being said to me, you won't be doing this again. And here's what you will be doing. And gave me what I refer to as my Ten Commandments, my personal Ten Commandments. They're in the book. Okay. And and it was all about now following. Okay, you went up the mountain. You saw some stuff. And now this is what you need to do in your everyday life. I needed to change my diet. I needed to change how I was exercising. I needed to I needed to get into the ashram and learn how to meditate and, and go through the eastern door, which is all I followed that and did it, you know. And I needed to learn all of those things. Um, another experience and so trust me when i when i got the call to go to brazil it was it was for the international transpersonal association conference i was studying i just i think i just finished certifying in stan groff's programs and um and there was this conference in 1996 um, no it's a couple of years past so um i i he mentioned santo daimi to me once uh in a conversation uh we were talking he asked me about Uh, different things and i was sharing some experiences and he says do you know the santo And i said no what's that he says oh you might be interested that was stan's way of never soliciting or you know putting anybody but just tossing something out and letting it you know i I talk about seeds in the wind you know you put your seeds in the wind and you see where they land and if they grow and so uh, you know two years later three years later in post certification i get this this brochure about the conference down, and I see it has this this post-conference uh, trip to up the Amazon to a Santo Dami Center. And I phone and I register, and I don't even know what the Santo Dami is. All I know is I need to go. So I had to kind of do business with this being and the astral and say, uh, excuse me, you told me I don't do this again, but it looks like I'm going to be doing something like that again, you know. In the meantime, I had for a, at least a year beforehand I was dreaming about ayahuasca, and I was dreaming that I'm in the forest wearing white, and I'm taking the ayahuasca, and that I'm purging, and I'm having these dreams, and I'm having these different beings that I go, oh, I know you, but I haven't met you yet, but I know you so well, and I'm having these experiences. So, But I thought, no, I I really need to be serious. So I had every green light that, yes, you're going there. And, uh, again, the story of that is a bigger story than perhaps for this afternoon, but, again, it is is in the books about how that came. The only other – the only two other – kind of um substances natural I, I had other than those two lsd experiences i have only ever i've had um two campbell experiences down in brazil with a in a, a, a real campbell ministry, and um and i really didn't want to do either of them but i had two two profound dreams in which the tree frog visited me in the dreams. And it was really clear that I had to do this and, and they were difficult experiences, but profoundly rewarding. And, um, and also participated, um, just simply as the Madrina of Sotomontreal have participated in some uh, peyote, Native American church rituals, peyote rituals um, quite a few years ago now. Just was respectfully participating, um, sharing rituals with different uh, Native elders. So um, that's it. I, I have great respect for all the sacred plants. That once I was in the daimy, it became very clear for me that these are my plants. I serve them. You know, they're not. Yes, they serve me, but I'm I'm serving them and the beings that that guard them, and I'm the guardian of the daimy and the guardian of 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 the rituals and training people to become you know in the ritual and to do the works. And it's a deep, long training. So I have a question for you.
0: And so like, I've done ayahuasca quite a few times. And I remember the first experience I had, it was again, it was like, you know, the anaconda and the condor and and I've seen the animals of the rainforest. And I'm just, I just want your opinion on this. If I had no idea what ayahuasca was, and no one ever told me anything about the animals that I would see, would I still see the animals? you know what i mean and i know this is a weird question but you would i don't know anyone else more inclined to answer it. it's
1: a really good question so what i have to tell you is 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 this is you might have but probably not hmm. okay because there are some um kind of universal beings and symbols and uh that are connected with these plants that exist in the shamanic tradition. But we also have to remember that, like, and I can only speak for the Santo Daimi, the Santo Daimi's roots are in the Amazonic shamanic. So you, in, in the Santo Dimi you may encounter, um, you may encounter these, uh, what I know as Oshumari. Oshumari is the giant serpent, you know, the anaconda. That's another name for her. And I've had a couple of encounters with her and she's always terrifying. She always is Isn't she, she, though? she wants to eat me. Yeah. <laughs> she eats me. It's another death. I become her. <laughs> she gives birth to me. You know, it's it's always it's always oh God, here it comes. <laughs> you know. And so yeah. I'm at the point now all these years later. You know, how many times in 26 years have I been drinking Daimy, but never mind. Um, I'm at the point where, you know, for, for quite a few years I can, I can honor her, I can salute her, but there's still going to be a frisson of human, you know, um, mm-hmm. elemental, uh, deep-rooted, hardwired, uh, low-level anxiety. Okay, yeah. and that is just humanly there. No matter how much we may love our spiritual path and how much we want to serve, there's still a humanity there, and I don't think people realize that, you know. And so you're asking me, yes, people, you know, the Maestri. I am told by an accompanied of Maestri's uh, people who accompanied him in his life and who are still alive. I am told that he met the Buddha in the astral, and he came back. Oh, the Buddhism, is so good, you know, it's so good, you know. So you can encounter. Whatever the dining is going to show you, the dining is going to show you. And however, once you are in a specific ritual and you, and the person who is leading the ritual is going to open or call in different beings. Does this make sense? Yeah. For example, you, you go to a rock concert. Guess what kind of music you're going to get?
0: I would it's assume awesome. rock
1: music. <laughs> not, you hit, you didn't go to opera. You go to <laughs> opera. You're going to opera. You're going to rock music. You're going to rock music. You're going to Cirque du Soleil. You're going to Cirque du Soleil. You're going to have a different experience. You're still paid a ticket. You're still sitting in a seat. It's still music. It's just different music. Okay. Yeah. So when a ayahuasca shaman is singing his icaros, the songs that he connects with individual and specific beings, then he's calling or announcing those beings. When you're in the Santo Daimi, you are calling and announcing different beings.
0: Out of curiosity. Some may
1: overlap. Some, may overlap. Some couple yeah. of clothes you're going to find in, in both lines.
0: Have you ever <clears> tried <throat> any type of DMT-containing plant MAM inhibitor naturally occurring plants from any other geographic areas like i know a a friend of mine had made sort of a an ayahuasca like brew from red canary sawgrass which is indigenous to north america like in canada and alberta specifically and mix it with a mal inhibitor and i tried that and i gotta be honest with you part of me was expecting to see beavers wolves and bears because i I don't know well that's that's sort of the the thing
1: wolves and bears (laughs)
0: Oh, I really a was. And yeah,
1: don't right. forget moose. Yeah. Beaver and a and moose, my spirit animals.
0: Yeah. And it, it, was, it was a very interesting experience. And actually, all I really saw was this, it was like this huge cave with this purple crystalline structure emanating life and love from it. And it was just completely encompassing and it had these strands running off of it that seemed to go everywhere and be everything. And it was a very beautiful experience. But mm-hmm. I just was curious if
1: down in the quantum you were down in the quantum realities yeah so um no i'm going to say this again is i was told by a being i know and love you don't do this again unless it's very clearly with permission and i'm not seeking anything i seek nothing you know do you know it's the great no i was going to say that i that i that I, i you know i serve these plants I'm, I, I serve these plants, you know, I'm the guardian of the sacrament. These, these plants, I have a relationship with these plants. This is kind of like saying to um, a married man, so are you thinking about cheating on your wife?
0: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that, that's actually that's reasonable. So,
1: I mean, I, mean I, I don't want to put it in such a kind of human graphic way, but it's the only way I seem to be able, because a lot of people ask me, so what else do you take? Like they think I'm some kind of Terence McKenna female psychonaut or something. I am so far from it, um, you know. Uh, it's like no, I'm not. I'm 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 happy to contribute if I can from the experiences that I've had with the teachers I've studied with and what I have learned and what I've learned in 26 years of drinking and serving the Santo Daime. I'm happy to share. In, in, in any way that it might contribute to a larger understanding, that it might create a common ground of conversation for people who are, you know, using these um, entheogens these and psychedelics either clinically or in research or experimentally or in ritual. I think that we all need to have a conversation and find common ground. But no, I, I, have, I have no need to cheat on my sacraments, thank
0: you. <laughs> I, I thought something you said earlier was really interesting when you said that, you know, I'm not looking for anything any longer. And it's, it's yeah, like when I started my psychedelic journey, it was all I wanted to see was behind the curtain and, and understanding the meaning of existence and all this stuff. And I think on some level I found that. And then it was almost like this point where I'm like, well, what do I do now? And every and for the last like you know years, like five or six years, to be honest with you, all of my psychedelic journeys are about just simply letting go. You know, like that's that's really it. It's just to let so you're
1: go. coming to a stage in your own personal unfolding where some interesting things might be next chapters for you. For many of us, um, who for those of us who are called to serve okay in the beginning it looks like it's our personal journey in the beginning it looked like okay i had these visions i had these experiences i had these dreams i need to follow okay gee now i'm being reminded that it was a pre- pre-incarnation pre karmic agreement to do this oh okay so i'm fulfilling my destiny okay so i'm still drinking daimy, thinking i'm healing myself okay every time I drink and serve. I'm there to heal my. Heal. When I say heal, I don't necessarily mean physically heal. I mean transform. You know, that's a word that kind of gets misused that maybe we could do a, a kind of definition on it uh, as it relates to the, to the use of entheogens and psychedelics, like what is healing? Because um, that's kind of a wonderful big question, what is healing? Um, it doesn't necessarily mean what people think it means, you know. So if we kind of look at all of this and we say, okay, now I'm on my journey and now I'm, okay, wait a minute, now I'm doing something else that I didn't even think I was going to be doing because I'm only just doing this for me, you know, I'm just doing this for me because I feel called to do this and then all these other things unfold, you know, it was kind of a big shock to me, like, what, I'm going home and starting a church? (laughs) <laughs> my this for me. Too. that, that is a hard
0: left though you're right all of a sudden you're like oh i'm starting a church that's that's and a and interesting it's like,
1: <laughs> okay but it was ter- it was it was equally as terrifying and but it was very clear that this was part of my mission and, and an important part of my mission was the legalization this was this was so clear for me from the first step from the first step 26 years ago is okay i'm going to go back to canada and I'm going to lay the foundation for starting this, and then it means legalization. I'm not going to just stay under the, you know, under the radar and doing all that. It's like, no, it was so clear for me, you have to work on the legalization. And so there's a point where you come where people say, you know, I don't have the same cells now, but my mediumship is opening, or I don't have, something's shifting for me, I'm not sure what it is. And it's, and it's like, yeah, now you're coming into service. You've walked the path, you've surrendered, let go your words, you've been letting go, letting go, surrendering, acceptance, whatever words you're comfortable with. And then all of a sudden you realize wait a minute, I'm just in service. It's been a long time in the dying system. You're just sit in front of the cross and be firm and just point, show the way to the light. Just keep showing the way of the light. You know, show the way to the light. Be the light, live the light and point the way to the light. And That's, at the same yeah. time we have to embrace our humanity. We are h- human beings with personalities with strengths and shortcomings and limitations and and grumpiness and, <laughs> and fatigue and body aches and pains and all the things that come with being human, right? And so how do we how do we how do we find that balance of being human? and having our human everyday life. And this is what's known as the shaman's walk. One foot in this reality, and one foot in that reality. And it takes a while to get your balance. And once you get your balance, when you understand, and in some we call it jirmisa, firmisa, firmness. Jirmisa, firmness in itself, is a deep, long-term study. I, I use the tree as an example. The tree has to have deep, strong roots. It can't make branches more than its roots can sustain. The tree won't do that, right? And yet the wind comes along and the tree has to be flexible enough to move with the wind. So be like the tree, firm, with your roots nice and deep and anchored into the earth, but your branches reaching high into the Collective unconscious into the astral. Be flexible enough knowing that life is going to come, bringing you lots of stormy days with big winds. Yeah.
0: Dr. Rochester, uh, I just have a question for you. Um, with organized religion kind of being on the decline and uh, secularism is kind of increasing in society in general what is it that um, the Church of Santa Dime brings or has to offer um, anybody who's looking to increase or expand their spirituality? And what sort of people would be best suited um, to seek out uh, your religious faith?
1: Well, you know, uh, thank you for asking good questions. Um, First of all, Maestri didn't consider the path that he started a religion. He considered a spiritual path. He considered the center that he opened. Um, he considered that just simply a center of health and peace. There's uh, four things in the Santo Dami tradition that are considered to be like the four pillars. Love, harmony, truth, justice. If you take out any one of those, you don't have the others. Okay? The first one out the door, you know, if you take out truth or justice, the first thing out the door, the next thing out the door is harmony. Harmony's gone. You can't have harmony <laughs> whether there isn't, you know. So, uh, those are the four foundations, okay. And you're asking, you know, you're saying about traditional religions. Well, they are and they aren't actually. If you look around the world, you're going to see that there's a tremendous amount, percentage of the population of the human. Um, you know, species that still holds very dear and rather, in some cases, tightly to their religious beliefs. And what's the difference between a religion and a spiritual tradition or a spiritual path? And and those are wonderful, deep questions. Maybe for another day, but certainly for people to meditate on. And um, you know, the other two things you asked is is what is what how are how, how are we different how does the sanhedrin be different well it's different on many levels but the most important ones are is that we and we touched on this earlier is we do not consider ourselves as being the gatekeepers to the divine we don't need a you know uh, we really believe what <laughs> what jesus really said which is don't go looking for the kingdom of heaven outside of you the kingdom of heaven is within now, he said that. How did that get lost? You know, he said, you and I are one, God and I are one, you and God are one. How did those teachings get lost and buried under millennia of, of customs and culture and ritual and eat this and wear that and all of these things that happened that suck the life and the spiritual life out of? So no, no interfering between the personal connection with the divine empowering people to know that they are the ocean in a drop, Okay, that the divine is within them, and that all that the elders or senior people in the line are doing is ensuring the integrity of the ritual and the integrity of the tradition and creating the space in which together, united in harmony, we can make that connection with the divine. However we experience that divine, whatever consciousness teachings we individually receive about that. And so, yes, in Canada and certainly in Quebec, where I live, um, you know, uh, the people for the last 50 to 60 years have been, the churches have been emptying. But that's because they were, you know, very Buddhist here. They were too tight. Yeah. They were just too tight. You know, and people realize they don't want a a ritual leader to tell them what they have to eat, what they can and cannot do with their bodies, who they can or cannot love, who they can or cannot marry. They didn't want that. They needed to find that inside of themselves and be at peace and in harmony with that. And um, and that is, you know, what we believe. If you if anybody's interested in the principles for our church they're on our website our mission statement is there, um, the equality of people and um, the, the principles are there of equality and respect and non-interference in in individual lives at the same time that we do have of course rules of the salaw, which means how you conduct yourself in the ritual. And um, and we do have principles that we uh, ask people in the Code of Ethics to abide by once they become members, associate members. And even our visitors, our regular visitors and new visitors, are obliged to uh, abide by the rules of the salon. I think you asked a third question, but I, Jason, I'm sorry, i forgot <laughs> what it is. So, Adam, if you want to pick that up, or Jason, you want to repeat it? I think he
0: was sort of asking also is that who would be looking for this? And you were talking about exclusion criteria, but I feel like you partially covered that when you were just, you you were mentioning that people who don't want to be constrained with ritualism and, you know, and one one of the biggest issues that I've always had with organized religion and I technically grew up Irish Catholic, Irish Protestant, which is a fantastically ridiculous mix was just that it was, it was this sort of weird blind faith take my hand, let me tell you how to achieve salvation, and none of it ever seemed to be the right way. And, you know, every single thing that bothered me about organized religion, it very much seems that you guys have actually moved entirely away from that and just allowing people to experience spirituality the way it was supposed to be experienced. And I I completely agree with what you're saying about, you know, the the neo-Christian groups and where Jesus emerged from and that idea of, you know, I I very much do think they were psychedelic based and I think it was, you know, you don't need to go into houses of of wood and stone, left a rock and you will find me split a piece of wood and I am there. You know what I mean? Like, salvation exists all around us. Consciousness exists all around us. That's what we're looking for. This isn't some macho deity or bearded sky daddy watching me masturbate and judging me or some nonsense. This is... You know, it's, it's finding spirituality within ourselves, and I find that the mechanism in which the Santo Adami of Faith is projecting this to be deeply refreshing, and I think it's actually beautiful.
1: Oh, yes. Well, <clears throat> I guess I'm biased because I'm following the path, but, you know, <laughs> as you were talking, I was thinking of a Joseph Campbell quote that I really love very much about the patriarchal religions and he says the only problem with jehovah was he thought he was god you <laughs> know and you know uh, you know plucked out of the pantheon of gods that existed six thousand years ago uh, the female deities and representations of them dismissed and erased and again when they were in early christianity when you know for those of you familiar with the history in the 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 in the city of Nicaea the bishops mm-hmm. council in the fourth century when all the women's epistles and both were, and, and, and were <laughs> all trashed one third of the attendance. um, women were no longer able to be bishops or teachers or have you know any place of of respect and honor in the tradition and and we can see each time that the, the the the, the inequality arises between the male and the female on the human level when we're not seen as complementing each other and bringing strengths to create a unity stronger than as individuals and recognizing those strengths and qualities that, you know, and where they meet and merge and how and what strengths can come from this. But each time we try to put one over the other, okay, doesn't matter which one, okay, problems arise problems arise so just to try and answer you know just to be a little bit more clear to jason's question is the kind of people who you know again are are looking for non-ordinary states of consciousness it's either from a calling they may feel called to our particular plants we've had many people come saying i dreamed this i had a dream I dreamed this the same way I dreamt. I'm drinking in, in the forest, <laughs> wearing white, purging. And it came to pass, okay, I'm in Brazil, I'm in the forest, I'm wearing white, I'm purging, okay, in the Santo Dani ritual, my first and, and second ones. And, you know, lo and behold, um, you know, so a lot of people, the plants are calling them. They start reading about it. They start dreaming about it. And so they're called, okay. Other people... Have, have taken other substances, and they start to feel uncomfortable either taking them alone, or they feel uncomfortable um, taking them in settings that are not spiritual settings, they're kind of um, recreational settings, let's say, or they're not comfortable that there isn't enough, there isn't enough maybe structure for them or principles or something, okay? So they want, they're looking for a community and they're looking for a ritual in which to share. Um, And and there's people who come because they already have meditation backgrounds and prayer backgrounds, and they're just ready to take the next step. And then there are people, as I mentioned earlier, who are in a very troubled state and they need more support than we can potentially offer them at the time. And this gives us a lot of sadness in our heart, but we also have regulations. So this is an opportunity for people in the listening audience to understand that we are under regulations from Brazil, okay, where our sacrament comes from, and in Canada. We are technic- We are not allowed to serve anybody with a psychiatric diagnosis. Now, there's fewer people in Brazil with psychiatric diagnoses. You know, all you have to do is, like, seem to, I don't know, these days almost normal average human behavior, grief, regular grief, the loss of a loved one can be pathologized, you know. Can become a syndrome or something. Oh, people grieve, and we all grieve in our own ways, and we just need more human support on sharing support um, and more cartography to work with um, to understand how to support many of the human experiences. And yes, there is such a thing as mental illness. And yes, there are people who do need medication to help them live a um, you know a more satisfying or regular life and so it's navigating through those things um, in brazil and i imagine here the regulations are such that anybody with a psychiatric diagnosis to be served or sacrament needs to have the permission of the prescribing physician and or psychiatrist and or psychologist depending on you know who they're seeing and 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 the support of their family and loved ones because they're going to go through passages and face difficulties. And, you know, on top of all the screening and the support that they may have, so that they need to have that support system in place uh, to be able to have the experiences and then, you know, have the support. So, again, I think I mentioned earlier, that's something that down the line, it may be a few years down the line, I imagine it will be, that we will be in a position to work with, Um, a clinic of people who have added training in non-ordinary states of consciousness who will be able to give people who are struggling with, you know, certain emotional and or psychological and or mental situations in which they just need more support, more integration, more preparation, okay? They need to learn how to meditate. They need to learn how to be still. They need to learn these things. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard for them.
0: No, I think that was an excellent answer to that question. That was perfect. So, Dr. Jessica, we're sort of winding up a little bit. Is there, you know, you've you've talked about your books and anything else that you would like to sort of provide access to your web pages or anything else you want to talk about before we go?
1: Well, sure. Um, what I have done in the hopes of education is I have made. All the videos and podcasts and everything and publications, you know, obviously not my books, but I've kept the prices as absolutely reasonable as I possibly can. People interested in my books, you'll find them on the website. You can click right through to Amazon or the publishers. And I do have uh, some other publications that you can click into that I offer free. Sorry, Dr. Rochester,
0: just for a second there, um, because you've mentioned the website a few times. We will attach to the show notes, but can you just go over it quickly (laughs) for our listeners?
1: (laughs) thank you thank you it's www.revdrjessicarochester so r e v d r jessica rochester.com couldn't be more <laughs> simple <laughs> yeah, okay. our church website is uh, santodime.ca www.santodime.ca and no if you reach out to me on my personal website it is not a a rapid you know, entrance into the church. You will be redirected back to the church and to visitors' information. And I highly encourage everybody, if you're interested in the work I have done and am doing and my publications or the educational videos, please visit the website. If you're interested in visiting the church, by all means visit my website and get some background. But please go to the church website and please read the background, the principles, um, our tenets of our faith um our code of ethics uh the visitor screening principles that we have um, when i came into the santo Dime, it it was basically a apprenticeship that was oral an oral apprenticeship okay and so <clears throat> one of the first things i had to do was think okay well this isn't going to wash in the canadian culture so um need to write a code of ethics uh i did uh, wonderful trainings with jack cornfield who was in who was offering trainings with Stan Grof for a period of time and staffed with him at various retreats. And he'd written a book called After the Ecstasy, the Laundry, when he published it, I think it was like 1990-something, no, 2000, 1999, 2000, somewhere around there. I read it, and in it he says, if you've joined a spiritual tradition and it doesn't have a code of ethics, write your own and take it to the elders. So that's exactly what I did. I wrote a code <laughs> of ethics. I sent it down to Jack Cornfield. Like, Jack, could you just look at this and see if I left anything out or if, this, you know, if there's something missing or what have you? And he was a sweetheart. He said, no, it's, it's good. It's good to go. So wrote that. It's on our website. And, and codified the tenets of the faith at the time with Alex Polardi of, of Albergo, who's a, an elder in, in that line of the Santo Daimi, that branch of the Santo Dimy, Codified the tenets of the, of the faith. Had to write. What do we believe? I can't just hand our government a hymn book and say, "Read all 128 of Mastery's hymns and figure out what he's trying to say." You know. <laughs> and by the way, there's a glass of dime to help you do that. So um, that's that's quite kind of at the core of it. Is is that for the Canadian culture, and I believe also for European and you know North American at large culture. We do need to have, having an oral tradition is just not going to work so well here. People have to have things codified. The kind of visitor screening that we have to have is different from how things are in South America. We had to make adjustments to our culture and even our geography and, um, you know, languages. And why are we singing Portuguese? So we're singing (laughs) Portuguese.
0: (laughs) Well, Dr. Jessica, I... I've really enjoyed this conversation and you know when they say standing in the backs of giants you know I, I think it's a reasonable statement when this psychedelic movement has a lot has a lot to speak for with the work that you've done for it so you know thank you for everything that you've done you've spent a lot of time doing it and I very much appreciate the way that you look at this the logic and spirituality that you incorporate within it and continue what you're doing and I wish you good luck across the board completely.
1: Well, thank you so much, and, um, you know, uh, thank you for having me today, and all the best for you and your spiritual journey, and may the sun shine upon you (laughs) and the wind be at your back. Thank you very much. Bye.